The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Real Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. And all three of us are also now from uh, Car Review Tweets. Yes. Uh, That's right. Twitter Car Reviews. And Rebecca, I know that you have Rebecca Drives, um, which is kind of the same thing. So. Uh, oh, Rebecca it, Drives is practically verbose compared to car review tweets. That's, exactly. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's 200 words. Car review tweets is 280 characters. It's awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a place you can find us. I, I set it up and, you know, Sam, I know you used it too, but it, the idea is that it gets that really quick sort of impressions. It's, we, we're, you know, certainly shooting video and photos and uploading our thoughts on mobile. So it should be something that uh, we keep updated on a pretty regular basis when we when we get cars, we go to events. Um, yeah, I'll so, be I'll be contributing. I just I've been so slammed the last four weeks, and so I took yesterday and today off. Yeah, well, we'll have to get the W nine and the contract out to you so yes. that we can make sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'll be using it for sure because it, it plays in really nicely with Rebecca Drives. I mean, it's, it's the same it's the same concept of of keeping it short, sweet, emotional, giving you just an idea, just a taste. We don't we don't need one more long form review, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I agree. And it's sort of the idea was, you know, a lot of times I find myself tweeting threads like that anyway, um, yeah. just as we're discussing cars. So you just get that sort of uh it's just a stream of consciousness uh thing so anyway if anybody's wondering about it uh if you haven't gone and followed it you should follow it it's at twt car reviews so twit car reviews and it's called car review tweets and go there and you know interact with us because we crave interaction we're, <laughs> we're writers we're behind keyboards <laughs> sam's frozen in his dungeon right now um so why don't I actually, why don't I throw it to you, Sam? What are you driving or trying to drive? Or what are you digging out of the snow? Uh, well, before it snowed, uh, I had the uh, the Volvo XC60 again, uh, the T6, uh, which I quite like, although I'm, I'm still waiting on my opportunity to get into the V60, which is, that's the Volvo I, I really want, is the V60. I had the V60. Yeah, I had that a couple of weeks ago. It was, it's nice. Uh, yeah. It's cushy and comfortable and looks good. Yeah. And, you know, the XC60 is, is you know, equally cushy and, and comfortable and, uh, to my eyes at least, doesn't look quite as good. Uh, you know, it's taller. I mean, it's it's a crossover version of the, the same thing. It's built on that same platform. Uh, you know, and 
you know, the, the current Volvo design language, I think, you know, looks really awesome. I've, I've liked it and, you know, pretty much everything they've done over the last several years. Um, you know, interior, you know, as, as we've discussed, you know, ad nauseum on numerous occasions is, you know, is a lovely place to spend time, uh, aside from that whole census UI thing. Uh, but you know, and, and we don't need to beat that dead horse again. Uh, but that even, you know, even that's something that's going to be replaced, uh, next year, starting with the, uh, the XC40 electric, uh, that's coming next year there, uh, Volvo is going to start rolling out, uh, an all new infotainment system that's built on Android automotive, um, that, uh, replaces, uh, that replaces the census system and, you know, gets rid of that whole concept of swiping, uh, you know, between the three screens, uh, you know, it's going to be more, more concentrated just on the one central screen. I think, um, the, the T six, the T six version is the, the mid-level version, um, that has the, um, the supercharged and, um, turbocharged four cylinder, two liter, four cylinder with 315 horsepower. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's a lovely engine. Um, one of my favorite aspects of the, the XC60 is the massaging seats, which I, you know, I find to be very helpful at times, you know, especially after I've been working in the yard, raking up leaves for several hours. <laughs> I uh, like how you can control the passenger seat from census. So you can surprise people. Yeah. Like, I- <laughs> <laughs> that, love- that is, that is one upside of, you know, of having all that stuff embedded in the screen is you can, you can do things like that. On the other hand, the passenger can do the same thing to the driver, which yeah, perhaps not so nice. Yeah, that's true. I will yeah. say, and I'll talk about it more in the next podcast, but I happen to have the XC40 this week, and I had to drive out to Pennsylvania, pick something up, and bring it back home, and it was seven hours in the, in the car uh, with basically like a half-hour break, and I would have killed for massaging seats at about hour five because <laughs> those seats were getting hard. But that's her next that's, week. Yeah, well, so that's when you stop and you get some ibuprofen and you chew it. <laughs> so that it just yeah, hit, that's when it, you stop and great. get some. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I suffer. The, the, you know, to be fair, I think there's, there's not too many cars that you can do that long in the saddle um, and, and not uh, – have some fatigue maybe even with massaging because i had um we did manhattan back uh in the cadillac xt6 and even that with its nice seats uh after after a while you just start to start to get sore you get those pressure points so yeah exactly i mean it was it was it was surprisingly good but again i'll talk about that uh next week i don't want to give it away (laughs) so go on sam tell us yeah sam did it have the crystal shift knob it does not. That's only on the high on the plug-in hybrids. So oh, okay. the uh, the non-hybrid versions uh, still retain the this mechanical um, shift lever, you know that that goes back and forth. So it's not even an electronic shifter. It's a, it's a mechanical one. Did you uh, have, that just did, goes straight forward and back? What do you? How do you feel about that one? Um, compared to the the electronic shifter that's on the plug-in hybrids, I actually prefer it. Um, hmm. because just because I find it more consistent, um, you know, for the, the electronic ones on the Volvos, you actually have to tap it twice to go from, you know, to switch, like to go from park to reverse or park to drive. You know, you've got to, if you tap, if you tap it only once, it goes to neutral. I know. Um, and I don't <laughs> like that. So <laughs> I don't I either. You, I, when I picked up the Volvo on Friday from LaGuardia, 
I thought I was going to have to call somebody because I couldn't get it into drive. I was like, <laughs> oh, because you were just doing it once. No, I just I didn't know that I needed or- to like move it over. Oh, okay. And it was very annoying. And I have a very funny story that I won't tell right now about Volvos and me and gear selectors. But I didn't have that same issue in the XC90, though. I don't. I mean, I do remember well, dropping the, it twice for sure. The, well, the not the non hybrid XC90s again don't have don't have that electronic shifter. They have a mechanical shifter. Okay, so that's why it was so much easier. Yeah, it's it's only the plug in hybrids that that but mine have was that plug in hybrid. Well. Uh, the 90? Yes. Remember, because oh, okay. somebody chewed me out yeah. for not mentioning that. So yeah. it, it was okay. it was definitely the XC. It was definitely the, the plug-in hybrid. But maybe I just got used to it. I mean, I'm used to the XC40 now, but it definitely takes practice. It, it does. And, you know, I mean, if you actually owned one and, you, you know, you were driving it for more than a week at a time, you of would course. certainly get, you would get accustomed to all this stuff. Um, you know, being, you know, being a Swedish car, a premium Swedish vehicle, you know, this thing, you know, of course, also has all the, the kinds of things that uh, work, you know, would be handy. It would have been handy to have this week, um, you know, when our when we got our first, you know, Arctic blast here in Michigan, you know, with, uh, as I speak right now, I think the temperature is down to about uh, 14 or 15 degrees and it's supposed to go down to five degrees uh, sometime during the night. We got eight inches of snow yesterday. Um, so, you know, it would have been nice to have the, the heated wiper blades with integral washers instead, you know, instead of, uh, um, what I have right now. Um, but, uh, this one, uh, also has the, excuse me, has the, uh, um, the four corner air suspension. So you can lift it, raise it up and lower it down, you know, uh, and it, it does, you know, it does give it a, a de- definitely improved uh, ride quality. Um, there's a, a you know really nice heads up display. So you know, it's overall, you know, Volvos, modern Volvos are just they're a really wonderful place to spend time. You know, when you've got to get from one place to another, you know, the seats are comfortable. Um, you know, just I, I like everything about it really. One thing I love is that they have uh, different levels of heat in the seat Mm -hmm. and in the steering wheel. And I had to laugh because when I had mine on the high level and I didn't have any gloves on, it was hot. But then of course I realized that like, if you have gloves on, this is going to be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, you know, of course, you know, you can also turn them off separately. So once your wheel is nice and warm, you know, you can just switch that off. Yes. Um, They, you know the the price point on the the one I was driving, you know, because it was pretty loaded. It was the inscription model, and you know it was just shy of sixty sixty six thousand uh, dollars delivered, which is you know it's it's not it's not, not inexpensive, but you know for a premium, you know for a vehicle in this segment, you know you compare it to an Audi or BMW or Mercedes, you know um, it's it's quite competitive, and you know got decent fuel economy. You know it's twenty four miles per gallon. You know for a three hundred and sixteen horsepower four-wheel drive SUV, it's not bad at all. So here's my sort of issue with the XC60 is that it's it's the mid, sort of like the midsize of their, their range. It's just not, it's not that roomy, you know, and it's, I know what it's supposed to do and it sort of fills that niche, but really if you need it for cargo space, you really should buy the XC90. Uh, that's that's probably a valid concern you know i guess it depends a lot on you know what your um what your needs are 
You know, I mean, if you've got, you know, a couple of kids that you're hauling around and, and all their, their stuff, you know, that you probably want something a little bigger than this. Yeah. With a trailer yeah. and a roof box. Yeah. Yeah, but the put the kids in the trailer right. and you know all all the the other stuff in the roof box and you're good to go. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, you put nice, the kids in a the nice roof. serene trip. <laughs> the XC90 holds a lot. But it I does. Think, I think the XC60 though is it's kind of that nice balance between. I mean, it's I know what it, it's supposed to be between the XC40 and the XC90 because the XC40 it's pretty compact and it's very much of a personal vehicle. And I think the XC60 is that nice transition. It's, it's, yeah, I mean the know, the, four, the forty is clearly household couple one kid maybe. Yeah, the, the clear the the forty is definitely more you know for the urban environment you know where you want something that's smaller and easier to park. Right. You know, I think the the sixties uh, you know a really you know not not too big, not too small, just just right. You know, uh, you know, nice balance of you know decent size. Um, and like I like I said before, you know, personally, if I was spending the money. I would go for the V60. I have no, I have no, no desire to own, you know, a higher up SUV. That's just, it's just not something I like. You know, I will always take the the station wagon over the SUV if I have an option. Um, but uh, you know, if if you've got to spend some time in a, in a in a vehicle on the road, you know, this is not a bad place to spend your time. But how does it actually drive though? That's the other thing is. Uh, taken on its own, it, it behaves well enough. Um, I didn't really have a ton of complaints about the V60, for instance, but uh, compared to its competitive set, you know, BMW it's, and Mercedes. It's not, you know, it's not it's not a sports sedan or, you know, it's not a sports car, um, you know. And I think, you know, compared to a BMW, um, you know, dynamically, it's probably not, qu- I would say it's not quite as good dynamically. Um, Although, but like some of the latest BMWs are not quite as good either. That's you know, like that's true. Um, um, you know, but you know, the, the steering is precise, if not necessarily, you know, providing a whole lot of feedback. Um, you know, it, everything generally feels feels good. You know, it feels like you're in control. Um, you know the the all wheel drive system. You know, definitely. Um, you know helps in, in low traction conditions, you know, when it's raining, you know, when you get some heavy rain, it, it definitely comes in handy. Um, you know, we did actually get a little bit of snow last week. You know, the, we got our first snow snowfall, um, on the last day I had this last week and, you know, it, you know, it was de- definitely nice to have a little all wheel drive to get, uh, get warmed up in the first snow of the season. But, you know, it's, I think that for the, the customer that's looking for something like this, you know, they're, they're going to be very happy with this. Yeah, I, I couldn't argue with that. I suppose uh, my, but I will. My <laughs> my, my sure final gripe with both the XC60 and the XC90 is the way they ride. Um, with the air suspension, especially, I just felt like they're they're not supple enough, you know. But the the V60, which is on the same platform, didn't seem to have so much of an issue. It was actually pretty good, and the S60 as well seems to have that balance, at least with steel springs. So I don't know whether it's the air suspension or something. It just, uh, yeah, I. When you put it in dynamic mode, um, you know, it's definitely it definitely feels stiffer. Um, you know, if you put it in, I think it's the comfort mode or, uh, yeah, you comfort. know, the, yeah. Um, you know, it does soften up. It it's it's it is noticeably softer. And there's a yeah. noticeable difference between the modes. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know? definitely. I think that the thing with Volvo is it's also for just for people who just want something a little bit different and a little bit different aesthetic also. You know, when you think about uh, like BMWs and, and Audis and Mercedes, they're – you know, the design aesthetic is just different. And there's and it's not that they're common, but you do see them more. I feel like Volvo is just that little bit of different mindset for for a consumer. Yeah, it's you know, kind of marching to a slightly different drummer, you know, different a different beat than the Germans. Um and you know, it's good it's good to have choices. Yeah, yeah they, exactly. they they are very popular. They have a lot of presence um in certain areas. And, you know, pockets where they're popular, they're, they continue to be popular. I think they've very successfully transitioned from uh, what they, you know, pretty aging lineup, say, back in 2013. <laughs> that's, that's putting it mildly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there, there was – and that was a good lineup. You know, everything had a real family vibe to it um, that really sort of all came out in the first few years of, of the – you know, the, the first decade of the 2000s, you know, between 2000 and 2005 uh, or six. Actually, the, 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 XC, the original XC90 goes back to, I think, about 98. So 2003, but it was, it was in development all the way back. Yeah, it goes back to, so it was the, the S80 came out in 98, and it, the, the original XC90 is based on that S80. Um, and <laughs> You can still buy that architecture over in your Ford store. Not for long. <laughs> Not for long. They, they've 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 ended production of the uh, of the Flex and the um, uh, Lincoln MKT. So, but the Taurus is still around. And uh, uh, no, it's out of pro- it's been out of production yeah. for a while too. Really? Oh, and I there may be some, there's there's still some in inventory probably, but yeah, they they ended production of that um, early this year. When they switched over to you know to getting set up for the new uh, for the new Explorer and Aviator. Oh, maybe it's all done now because the Explorer. Yeah. So it was, it was they're, Taurus they're, Explorer Flex um, and MKT and MKT. Yeah, I forgot about the MKT, which you should too. <laughs> the other thing too with well, the, the market certainly did. You know, yeah. at least five or six years ago. Yeah, I think the XC90 came out in like 2002 timeframe. Yeah. but yeah. then yeah, of course they were owned by Ford, but then. You know, the transition to ownership by Gili was really significant. And, and I, I may have told the story before, but I was over in Jotaburg like just days, weeks before they were going to be purchased. And the people were really, really nervous. I mean, they were had, you know, legitimate concerns about Gili owning them. And then I went a year later and it was just a completely different vibe. They were thrilled. They said that they're just like leaving them alone, giving them the money to do what they want to do. And it was just people were really genuinely, genuinely happy at Volvo headquarters. Yeah. I mean, Geely has been an incredible steward of the brands that it has acquired over the last several years. Yes. It's a very good way to put it. Yeah, for sure. They own, do they own Lotus too? They do now. Yeah. Yeah. They bought Lotus and also a controlling stake in Proton. That well, I mean, I can't wait for the first Lotus tuned suspension on a Volvo. I think that would, <laughs> that'll fix it. That'll that fix, fix all it. all my complaints. <laughs> but they they've been really careful, and I think that that's um that's important because a lot of times you see ownership that's not careful, uh, and that's sort of more damaging. And and that's I think that's a legitimate concern when you've got that sort of cultural clash, um, of 
uh, sort of, uh, you know, leadership and ownership. Uh, we've seen or we've heard lots of comments about how you know difficult it is to to do business or to to work for you know Hyundai and Kia, for example. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're you know if you're not a Korean, uh, you know, working and you work at at Hyundai or Kia. Um, it can be, especially, uh, you know, in the executive ranks, it, it can be challenging. And even if uh, you are Korean, it can be challenging. That's true. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Americans, you know, in the executive ranks at Hyundai and Kia generally tend not to have the longest tenures. Um, although I, I, I do know a number of people who've been, uh, at Hyundai of America for more than a decade now and, you know, seem to be doing quite well. So. Well, we can ask John Kraftick about his time there. We <laughs> well, I mean, he, he had one of the longer tenures as CEO of that brand um, in North America. Um, and, you know, nobody else has lasted as long as he did. It was a fuel economy thing that took him out, right? He, he sort of fell on his sword for that. There was some something. Mm. Or maybe it was just his time to leave and it happened. Yeah, I, yeah I think it was more the latter. Yeah. He... he Probably wouldn't admit to it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, all right. Well, let's move on from the XC90 or XC60, um, which is a perfect snow car. Uh, it, you know, Rebecca, the uh, 2020 Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross also strikes me as kind of a pretty good snow car. Um, and that's probably At about- least on paper. Yeah. I was gonna, <laughs> that's about the only time I'd, I'm ever going to call it like a pretty good anything car. That thing's- It's- <sighs> fine and that's that's about as much as you can say it's so old and i i don't know I but res- it just came out i respect mitsubishi for how long they've been able to stretch that but that car is just not not real good <laughs> it's not and 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 actually you know i had one back in the spring so we may have spoken about the 2019 i definitely wrote a review about it i but this was the 2020 version of the Eclipse Cross SEL uh, has a 1.5 liter engine in it, four cylinder. Oh, that engine! I remember liking that engine a lot. Actually, I thought the engine was pretty good. Okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I I, th- I thought it well. It it it, it was um, it was better when I took it out of econ mode. Econ mode was brutal. Oh, okay, yeah, it that makes sense. It was just. It was like it was wrapped in cotton like it just i was like please start moving and it was so lethargic and listless and just this like really muffled like you put your foot on the accelerator and absolutely nothing happened yeah see maybe maybe i don't know i'm not sure what i what i what i experienced where i was gonna say like i felt like it was a larger displacement and uh, something I don't know. It felt more energetic than I thought it should for a 1.5. Well, but- so this was, yeah, I mean, it is turbocharged. Uh, and as I said, and this and the CVT, you know, I struggle with CVTs anyway, but it just, I mean, once I got it out of econ and I basically left it out of econ <coughs> because I couldn't stand it. But, you know, I, like you said, like, I mean, I give Mitsubishi credit and I want them to do well because there's really too. good people that work there. I so that's the, that's what makes me feel so guilty for for pointing I, out like these are just not good cars because the look they they come and they support us 
Um, they sponsor some events sometimes and stuff. And yeah. is, like you said, they're, they're good people and they try hard. And They're, they're good just, people. They really are. It's just, you know, but at the end of the day, it's always about the product, right? And so, you know, and this Mitsubishi, this, the, the Eclipse Cross, it's, the base is 28,595 for the version that I had. And then it had some different features in it that including like heated seats and some, some driver assist things. And then it, it got up to like 31, 32, seven delivered. And I think that it just, you know, I remember things like I couldn't get the voice recognition to work. Like I would press it and my phone was attached. My phone was connected but it gave me some random message. I can't remember now what it was. I should have recorded it. And and then it said it again. And I was like, okay. So then, of course, I end up having – I had to make a phone call. So then, of course, I end up having to use my phone, not on Bluetooth, uh, because I couldn't get it to work, even though it was connected. Like, it was just – I couldn't call, I couldn't make the phone call through voice recognition. And then I couldn't change the radio, and there's no dials because voice recognition wasn't oh, working. And yeah, it's, and it, it's got um it's, it's you got to use the touchscreen there aren't no, Right. Them, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that yeah. like the Rockford Fosgate branded head unit still? Yeah, it was yes, exactly. Yeah. Look, looks like it has a touchpad in there too. It just, does. Just what every car should have. It that does. touchpad is which pointless. I I didn't yeah. So <laughs> so then and then so there was so th- that was a, a bit of a memorable moment and then as I'm driving on the Merritt Parkway, which is the lovely two-lane each direction, two lane highway. And I drive it a lot. And there's one, there's a particular bump, but it's not like a pothole. It's like, it's like two bumps in the road as if they repaired it or something. And then it sort of frost heaved a little bit. And I try and avoid the bump because I know where it is. But in this particular case, I wasn't able to, and I hit it. And I swear if I had had dentures, they would have come out. Like this was just, and, and, and in no other car does it do this? Like, cause I've hit it before, you know, it's not so huge that I'm going to make an evasive maneuver around it, but man, I, I think I actually hit it in the, in the Volvo XC40 and it was nothing like that. And I remember thinking, wow, what a difference it was between, you know, going over this particular patch versus in one car versus the other. And, you know, for $32,000, there's so many other vehicles in this class, in that five-passenger, four-door, mid mid to compact SUV size that you could buy for that price. It just... Yeah. The world really is your oyster at uh, that price level. It I, is. I, I, so, so I, first of all, like you've got the SEL, right? Yes. Okay, so that's that's an all-wheel drive version because there's yes. for two for two, I'm looking at what's available for 2020. It seems like there's a, a new two-wheel drive option, so you can actually get it probably a little a uh, little cheaper than your SEL starts. So it's got to start in the 20s. Um, but e- even there, like what I found with it was when you start to compare um features for price it the eclipse cross does pretty well like sam said on on paper um, yes you know it has a lot of features it has a head-up display it, does. It, it, it checks off all the boxes it it does and and so i can i can understand how it makes that case for itself um it's i think like you found it's a much more primitive chassis yeah than yes. um 
pretty it, much everything else. But <laughs> it, it actually it's it's an IIHS. It does okay. It, it's an IIHS top safety pick too. Yeah, so because try. well, it also like they it, do. They they yeah. really try. It has active um, some active safety features too. Yeah. Right? Oh, de- got, no, for sure. Yeah, this one has uh, this uh, one has the and... yeah the lane departure warning. It had adaptive cruise, uh, heated steering wheel, heated heated front and rear seats. Uh, that that Rockford Fosgate premium sound system, and all of that for twenty one hundred dollars. A huge power right. panoramic sunroof. I mean, it should be a good value, but I think part of it too is there's just so much competition that it has to be really good, and it's not. Yeah, it, it's not as polished. Materials aren't as good. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so it was, you know. Again, I wanted to like it. I wanted to be like, okay, good. This is great. And also the visibility out the back is not great. It just, you know, I, again, I I just struggled with it. <laughs> well, it's got that funky sort of Aztec style rear window, right? Yes. Where there's a bar right across the middle of the mirror where yep, exactly, exactly where you want to it, see. Exactly where you need it to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that was unfortunate. Um, but- I hope eventually Mitsubishi gets some new platforms because this is this is the same sort of leftovers they've been dealing with, and I, I, part of it is just they don't have anything else. Right? Do now. they have alliances? I don't know if they have. Uh, they're yeah, they're part of the Renault. Renault that's right. They're part the of the Renault Nissan alliance. Oh, the Renault Nissan alliance. Yeah, but that I mean, I don't know. But they're also they lashed too. up with Toyota with something. Too, uh, right? No, they're not. No, no you're right. There, I forgot they were part of the Nissan Renault alliance. Okay. So yeah. Hopefully, better product, better products are on the way because they do deserve it. You know, I think that they're, um, I think that they're, you know, they could be a competitive brand. I'm concerned because they're offering zero percent financing for 48 months, and they, and they got into wow. they got into trouble, you know, years ago with their too many zeros. I remember sitting down. next to Ugh. I won't I won't name any names, but I remember sitting next to a PR guy from. Uh, Mitsubishi and uh, saying, oh, hey, uh, how did that uh, zero, zero, zero thing work out for you? And he was like, <laughs> it was the that it was awful. It was the worst thing ever because it's like it's like a sugar high for the brand. It temporarily juiced sales, but they were selling cars. That were but it was all to, to and it was all subprime stuff, too. Yeah, and yeah. exactly. And it was people who couldn't couldn't even swing it on, on the sort of most generous somewhat predatory and abusive terms and so the cars came back i know, you know no it was it didn't brutal. help him i will say though he was a great guy though because he knew i had tickets to the to the la kings game and, and the hockey match and we were in a meeting and he looked at the time and he goes you have to go if you're going to get there on time oh that's awesome <laughs> but yeah it's just you know i hope they don't fall down that trap and i i hope they get some some better product i mean nissan has a bunch of stuff already that they could just sort of give them well and and that's what we're going to start seeing you know and the the you know mitsubishi joined the alliance just two years ago right um uh, you know they were they were struggling and and you know Nissan and Renault stepped in and took a controlling interest and you know the next the next batch of vehicles the next batch of new vehicles you know are going to be adopting you know platforms from the alliance I mean you know what they can just sell Renaults with Mitsubishi badges here and I'd be fine with that cuz there's exactly. so many interesting cars 
<laughs> um, and and probably some of it is like the forbidden fruit kind of thing. Like you just, we don't have it here, but I just, I, the French cars are fascinating to me. Um, and yeah, I, Mitsubishi has such a history too. That's the thing that kills you. Could, you, you could, you could replace the Mirage with the Zoe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, I think back like to the, you know, the, the, the nineties sort of the Japanese bubble economy certainly helped them out, but they had the, like the Diamante was just this, this, I, the, the first, the first generation Diamante was actually a, quite a, quite a neat vehicle. Yeah, exactly. And then they had the, the Gallant that looked very similar. They had the, yeah. all the diamond star cars, which were amazing. The 3000 GT, like they were on a roll and the, let's not forget the Lancer Evo. And I don't know, they, they've been an engineering sort of powerhouse for a long time. I mean, they were they were great at engines for a long time. Yeah, they had that little not, MCA not so great on the engine. chassis side, but they were great at engines. You see that, and it's even as as sort of uh, limited as we're we're saying the Eclipse Cross is, like for its limitations, it it drives well enough, if I recall. Like it it drives okay, it drives fine. It's 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 you don't yeah, get any surprises. It, right? it, it, it drives it's fine, exactly stable. And, I mean, I didn't feel unsafe in it by any right. stretch. You know, I didn't feel like I didn't have control over the vehicle or that the steering was imprecise or something. It's not a sport, you know, it's not an athletic refined product, but, right. you know, it's just, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the groan says it all. Poor, poor Mitsubishi. So on a happier note, the other one that I had. <laughs> yeah. I had the Fiat 124 Spider, which of course the Fiat. Right, I was gonna say the Fiat. Exactly the Fiat, and I actually I didn't get a lot of chance to drive it because I I was traveling and uh, Saturday I had to do the the marathon uh, gumball rally out to Pennsylvania, uh, but the uh, but the I had the top down, uh, which was a lot of fun. I on Monday and it was beautiful out and zipped around in it and. You know, I will say, though, it was really interesting because it was not as engaging as the Miata. Like, Well, it's, a, it's about 100 pounds heavier than a Miata. Okay. Yeah. But it also um, has the turbo yeah, the, engine. The extra, the extra body work does, does add some weight to it. It does. And I, the Miata that I had was a manual, which is so much fun. And this is an automatic. And it, there was, there's just something really authentic about the Miata that the Fiat doesn't give you at the same time I did. I mean, I thought the styling, you know, the styling is beautiful. It's such a head turner and I was able, I was able to get in and out of both cars fairly easily, but um, this one was really easy to get out of. Like I was really surprised. And then I had a, a friend of mine that came with me and he's a pretty big guy. And he was like, how am I going to fold myself into this? And I was like, well, just try it. And the next thing you knew, he was in it. And I was like, oh, that was really easy. And so, you know, there was just things that, that was really pleasant about it. Of course, the exhaust note with the Abarth engine was just incredible. I mean, it was, it, it's really fun. So you know, just hearing that alone, the heated seats were great. It did not have a heated steering wheel, which I was disappointed about. Uh, and I actually had trouble with the Uconnect system, which I is typically really well received, but it didn't seem to like my USB-C connection. And I definitely had some issues with it. 
Um, not as much as the Mitsubishi, but I was just surprised because usually the Uconnect is really reliable. Well, uh, isn't um, doesn't the, the the 124 just have the, the standard uh, Mazda infotainment system in it? Oh. It did, the last one I drove did. You know what? I think oh, you're right because it's not touchscreen yeah. either. It right. wasn't touch, which I discovered. Does it have the little control knob down on the console? Yeah, yeah it's got a central yes, controller. it does. Yeah. No, you're right because I couldn't get it to move. I was like, why won't this do And my friend's like, because it's not touchscreen. I'm like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> See, and I think that that's... Uh, it has the proper interface for no, an in-vehicle. No, it does not. No, I yes, think that they really should have a touchscreen on it as well as the controller. Because no. even though I like using no touch the controller, screens. and it's, I, I don't know, again, uh, you got to meet the people where they are. If you're going to put the screen in the thing, you have to just understand that people are going to touch the screen. I can't tell you how many fingers I have resisted breaking in my career as a, a video editor where people reach out and they touch your monitor and you need the monitor clean. You don't want smudges on it. And it's just, it's the touchscreens drive me bonkers. But if you're <laughs> going to have the thing, people are going to want to touch it. Yes. I it's wanted to touch it. I, to I touched it and touched it and it wouldn't work. Uh, but, but again, you know, <clears> the, this, this vehicle is just, it's so much fun for, you know, meandering drives and just classic automotive experience i mean this one and again it has a pretty decent trunk almost no space inside it doesn't even have a glove box uh and but the top is so easy to put up and down you know it's just there's such a, a simplistic authenticity to the driving experience when you're in a two-door two-passenger roadster and i know sam you have an amazing miata that i've driven in and it just has that same feel that is often lost today so i loved it yeah i mean you know and compared to mine you know the the modern miatas and the 124 you know feel so much more solid and it, what's amazing is at least in the miata version um you know it actually weighs almost the same as my first generation one but you know wow. mine feels practically delicate by comparison yeah. you know whereas Whereas this one, you know, the, the modern ones, you know, it feels really nice and solid. It does. Um, it, you know, and of course, you know, you're, you also, you know, it's got a higher belt line. So you feel more enclosed. You don't feel quite as exposed as you do in mine. You know, mine, you know, the, the belt line is lower. You know, I can stick my yeah. arm out, you know, and my arm's not, you know, if I put my arm on the, the wind, the windowsill, you know, and um, and the new one, you know, it's it's definitely angled up more, right? Uh, whereas, you know, it's it's much more comfortable in mine. But nonetheless, you know, they are great to drive. And you know, I actually I drove the the one twenty four about a year and a half ago. Uh, but I had the um, the Abarth uh, with the um, the six speed manual. Oh, and, that's you know, nice. That that one point four liter turbo. With the six-speed manual is a fantastic combination. I bet that's, that's a the only way. To, is that the only way to get a manual with the one twenty-four? No, oh, no, you um, can get it with the other the, the other trims. The ba yeah, the, the, yeah, you can get it in in all of them. Okay. Yeah. So this one goes for about thirty, just over thirty-seven thousand, thirty-seven thousand twenty. It does have the Recaro uh, seats and a couple of other uh, additions, but. It was, you know, it was, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, it was, I didn't want to see it go for sure. I could, I definitely it, could have had it. Does it feel more worth it than the Miata? Um, 
it, no, I probably I mean, the, would. The have starting gotten... price is pretty similar. You know, the the pricing is not that different between the Fiat and the and the Mazda. Yeah, I mean, I probably I preferred the Mazda overall. I would say uh, that the just the just the handling of it was a little bit crisper. The I don't know. I just felt like there was really good feedback from the steering. Uh, and again, you know, part of it, I'm sure, was because it was a manual that I just was so much more engaged with it. I loved it. I mean, I I felt like I was always conscious of what I was driving in the Miata because it was just something that I wanted to communicate with, whereas the 124 was a little bit more uh, almost well-behaved, if you will. Like, I felt like I could get myself into a lot of trouble. A little more grown up. Yeah, the, the 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 Fiat feels a, a little more grown up. Yes, yes. I mean, I felt like with the Miata, I felt like I really could, I could do some damage in that thing. <laughs> it was it was it was a lot of fun. But the but yes, you're exactly right, Sam. The the you know the Fiat is it's a little bit more grown up. It's it's not that it's more refined. It's just more serious somehow. Yeah, and and. Uh, to to the question of the engines, there's actually only the 1.4 liter turbo offered in the uh, in the Fiat now. Oh, okay, it seems and, like there used to be another engine option, but uh, now the, it's just the 1.4 turbo. And then on the pricing, the Miata that I had this summer was thirty eight thousand three thirty five, and this the Fiat is thirty seven thousand twenty. I don't know if they're exactly the same, but and actually the Fiat the I think it's like a the automatic is a pretty is like a thirteen or fourteen hundred dollar uh, upcharge. So yeah, because you should not buy it. Exactly. <laughs> it's thir- it's thirteen fifty for the automatic. See? They charge you. They charge you what you could get a whole used Miata for, for just a transmission. <laughs> you shouldn't buy anyway. Don't buy well, that transmission. Yeah, but you know what? If if you find a thirteen hundred dollar Miata. Walk away from it. I didn't say it wasn't going to be thirteen hundred dollars worth of regret. I just said it was <laughs> like you can get one. Um, and and, uh, and thirteen hundred bucks, that Miata is probably going to be mostly just rust holding it, holding yeah. it together. <laughs> and there are people who legitimately can't drive manuals. Um, you know, you, you get knee problems and whatever like that. That's a thing. So carry on, do your thing. You spend the money on the transmission, but I personally, I would just be like, no. I'm saving that money. <laughs> Put it into gas. Totally agree with you. <laughs> but you know, you can you can get the the 124 um, for the the Classico model starting at 25.4, and you know that's got that 1.4 turbo you know, manual transmission. You know, and that's you know that's actually a really nice combination. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, the, and again, that's one of the fun things about that these types of vehicles is that if they have a, that lower price point, you don't necessarily need it all dolled up. You know, you don't need it all spiffed up. You just, it's just a fun car to drive. See now, and I kind of, uh, my assumption is, and I, I haven't really compared them side by side. My assumption is that the Fiat feels a little bit more dressed up interior wise. I certainly styling is slightly different, but mm, no, actually yeah, in the, just... in the cabin, the only difference between the Fiat and the Mazda is the badge on the steering wheel on the airbag. Yeah. It's a, so everything else is exactly the same, and and the 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 graphic that comes up when the the infotainment starts up, you know, you get a, you, a Fiat a one twenty four 
profile on there versus uh, the Mazda graphic that comes up. Can you get the Recaro seats and the Alcantara leather uh, suede with the Miata? Uh, I believe you can get Recaros. Okay, I don't know if I'm not but I didn't mention sure. it in my review, so I, and I usually would have done, but I'll look it up too and see. Uh, because the I thought the interior was was I mean certainly the seats were just beautiful, you know. So I think they did a good job. Overall, I, it was a lot of fun. I think when you when you compare, you can see the. I think the original Spider was uh, the one twenty four was styled by Michelotti. Mm. And I, I think you you can see how much they tried to get yeah. some of that into the current car. Yeah, there, there's there's definitely cues you know of that original one twenty four in this in this new one. Yeah, I think they did an okay job. It's different, and you know what? I don't care that it's a Miata. I think it's good that we have choices. Yeah. So then, exactly. Well, you know, uh, the the funny thing is the 124 originally was when Fiat and uh, Fiat Chrysler and and Mazda first got together for this program. This was actually supposed to be an Alfa Romeo Spider, not not a Fiat. Yes. Um, and and um, Sergio Marchionne had decreed that all Alphas would be built in Italy, and Mazda said, you know, for the kind of volume you're going to have for this thing, it makes zero sense to build it, you know, oh, to I add a second line that. in Italy to build it. And so they said, you know, said we've, it only makes economic sense if we build it in Japan. And so they, uh, you know, they decided, okay, fine, we'll make it a Fiat instead. It's the best Fiat there is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah, one of the only Fiats in the States anymore. So <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, I actually, I really like the 500X too, but yeah. Um, what did you drive this right. week? I was going to say, uh, so v- very much like Sam, I was tooling around in a premium compact. Well, it seems Sam's wasn't compact, but I had the, the 2020 Ford Escape Titanium. This is my first experience with the new Escape, which is this is the third generation. So it's the only way you're going to get- It's actually fourth generation. Is it fourth? Well, how is it fourth yeah. generation? You had two generations of the first one. One generation of the second. Well, the, I mean, you know, technically the second, there was the second generation that launched in 2009 or something. Yeah. So that that was a really heavy mid-cycle refresh to me. Yeah. I I mean, it was the same, same. it was the same basic platform, but, uh, you know, all, you know, all the body work, all the interior was completely redone. I, and so that, I loved that generation. The second gen? Yeah. I, it was just such a friendly, little honest, little crossover, and with the three liter V six, it was plenty of you know had plenty of power. It, they made a hybrid version of it. It, it drove really well because it was a Mazda. Uh, <laughs> it's just like I, there was very little to complain about. I think they Ford really nailed it. And then when they went to the the outgoing Escape, the one that the, so the two thousand nineteen is is the one that replaced that. The, the one that I was just speaking rapturously about. And I just never warmed up to it. It just felt clunky on its feet. It, it didn't, it was bigger, but it didn't feel bigger. It, uh, it drove more bland. I, and some of that's probably just rose colored glasses. I just, I didn't like the styling. I didn't just, it never, it never warmed the recesses of my heart, like the, that other escape. And so I really wanted to try 
this latest generation. So I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll say it's the fourth generation. Uh, and it's the only way you're going to get the newest Ford Focus here in the States because we don't get it any other way. And it's it's good. You know, it's certainly the the basic architecture is, is real good. And, and I discovered that, especially um, if you want to drive it at the limit, um, the, the focus bits really help. <laughs> it it, it uh, reacts surprisingly well to being flung really hard um, until the stability control kicks in and decides that you have much too much of a yaw angle happening and you need to settle down. <laughs> straightens it out and stops. Um, in theory, but, you mean? Yeah, in theory, <laughs> right? No, that wasn't a, it. Wasn't a clover leaf that had really, really cranked in and a bunch of steering angle at the end of it. Nope, not at all. Uh, not not a thing that happened. Nope. Um, but it, you know, it's a solid platform. It's an all new platform, so it, it that pays dividends. Um, the it's got the two liter EcoBoost, which is plenty powerful for what it is. Uh, the styling. Inside and out, it's hard not to like the titanium. It's the highest trim level. So it it's nice. Um, inside, I, I really love what they've done with the interior. They've cleaned it up quite a bit. Uh, it So it looks a lot better, especially, again, in the, the most premium trim. Um, the There's like a strip of, it's faux wood, but it looks real nice. Um, it's kind of a low gloss thing, emulates what you'd see in a more higher end interior like in the volvo so they did a nice job with that um the ergonomics are cleaned way up because there were a lot of buttons on the outgoing and the 2019 has a ton, ton of little buttons and they're kind of haphazard the, it's a mo- lot better organized in the 2020 some of the buttons are still kind of small and it's hard to operate them by feel and they're all the way at the base of the console so um your best bet is probably to just leave the hvac in auto and you won't have any of the complaints that I had, but I'm, you know, I like to tinker. So uh, I had some trouble finding some of the controls for a couple of days until I got used to it. Um, and Sync 3 is better. <laughs> it's not it's not perfect. The voice recognition actually really does help you out. Um, that's, again, I think the probably the best way to operate the whole system. I was a little disappointed that... By using CarPlay, I was stuck with using Maps, where I'd, I would much rather use the embedded nav in some cars. Like I had the the Honda Passport, I was I had CarPlay connected, but I could use the built-in nav, which I preferred, versus using Maps on my my phone. Um, but overall, it's you know it's a it's a solid update. It has there's a lot uh, to like about it. It is forty thousand dollars, so it starts to creep up there price wise. Uh, but it's the top trim so it has all the toys it's got the the leather it's got the big panoramic roof it's got the power hatch all the the adas stuff um you can get it i think in the the mid 20s which it starts it starts at about 25 yeah so that's that's a much more reasonable deal for it you don't need the titanium trim it it again it looks real nice but you don't need it (laughs) um and I guess, you know, so I was a little disappointed in the the um, the ergonomics. I was also, I still was struck by how much uh, sort of more refined the RAV4 felt. And, you know, this, the escape's not bad, but just the, the RAV4 felt a little more rigid, had a little bit better suspension discipline. Uh, and, you know, the interior of the Ford is nicer. 
but I also had the RAV4 XSE, so it's a different. It's not apples to apples. Um, and I think the RAV4 is actually a little larger, a little roomier. It's at least more upright. So th- this is a lot more stylish, but you, I think you, you pay for that a little bit. Although I, w- I was able to fit a nice chunk of lawn equipment in the back of it on Saturday. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a good choice. It's, it's a good compact crossover. It's a great update for what they had. Fuel economy is a little disappointing. It only came in at about 24. Uh, so, I mean... You could spend the extra twenty grand and get the XC60 that Sam had, and get the same fuel economy with more space. You can also get the uh, the one point five liter three cylinder uh, turbo in here as the as the base engine, and that's oh, actually I'd, quite I a would, nice engine too. I would love to have yeah. that. It just has that little snarly engine note. That's yeah. so much more entertaining because the the two liter it's it's powerful, it's fine, but it also it's not as muted. I'm sure the Corsair is a lot quieter. Uh, but you, you hear some of the engine note. Uh, I, I do like that. It doesn't have a CVT. It has a, a conventional automatic and those are, those are really well matched to each other. Um, and you, if you put it in eco mode, everything calms down a bit and can, you know, it, it smooths out your inputs. So it's not snapping your head around. Like, um, the brakes are touchy, the gas pedals touchy and, and some of the other modes. Um, so it, it's a really, really good entry to the compact crossover. Yeah. Mode. and. You know, like looking, I'm looking at the uh, the EPA fuel economy numbers. You know, the the two liter, the all wheel drive two liter is rated at 26 combined. Um, the one five, the four, the front wheel drive one five is at 30, and the um, the hybrids, the all wheel drive hybrid is at 40 miles per gallon and 41 for the front drive hybrid. See, so, the front drive hybrid is the one to get. Yeah, well, you know, if you're if you're looking for you know for fuel economy, you know, the hybrid really is the way to go. And you know, having driven both the hybrid and the uh, the titanium with the two liter, you know, the the hybrid is not quite as powerful, but it's still you know it's got plenty of power. You know, it's it's over two hundred horsepower combined for the hybrid powertrain, and you know that's you know that's more than sufficient. And you know, I think the thing to keep in mind about you know, what they've done with the escape this time around, you know, because Ford is expanding their, their SUV lineup, you know, they've kind of, they've, they've shifted where the escape kind of sits in the lineup, you know, in the past, you know, it was, they were trying to have it be more of an SUV, you know, and kind of, you know, be, you know, the urban suburban commuter vehicle and also, you know, kind of have, some semblance of off-road capability and this time they have shifted the the escape to really be more of you know that suburban commuter vehicle and you know one of the interesting things about the escape you know when when we were at the the launch they they said that i think it's like about two-thirds of escape buyers are women that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the, the way it gets used, you know, regardless of who the buyer is, you know, it, it really is more of that urban suburban, you know, commuting vehicle. Um, it's, it essentially is, you know, really, you know, the way people traditionally would use a car like the Focus. And it has, de- the, this new Escape has definitely shifted to be more Focus-like, you know, and, you know, taller, but still Focus-like. Um and, you know, then to to fill that gap, you know, for those that want something a little more rugged, they have this other variant that's on the same platform that, that's coming, 
you know, that has been referred to as, you know, the baby Bronco or the Bronco sport or something like, you know, it'll be something like that. Um, you know, that's coming, <laughs> yeah, that, that's coming in the spring and that's going to be targeted more, you know, as a rugged off-road vehicle, you know, so think of it more like, um, you know, like a Cherokee Trailhawk type of vehicle. Okay. Yeah. You know, so um, I, I do that too. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that the key for the escape, it seems is that when it's at its most pure, when they just own what it is, it's, it's better. You know, I liked it the most when it was a trucklet, you know, and, and now I like it more now when it's like you said, sort of embracing fully that role as a urban commuter, just what you would use a focus for, but in, in crossover form, because people want crossovers versus what is, you know, the 2019 is a little confused. It's kind of, in between it doesn't doesn't quite know and it does it doesn't do either as well as you know this one does being an, uh, a crossover and the old one did at being a little truck so yeah, yeah. and you know what one of the things I, I really do like about this new one um uh, you know is that they have you know they've done things like lowered the belt line you know the visibility out of this one is so much better than in the old one you know all all around to the front and to the sides and to the rear you know, it's, you can see better out of this thing. The, the pillars are slimmer uh, than before. You know, one of the issues with the old one was, you know, it had really thick A-pillars. And, you know, the way the mirrors were mounted at the base of the A-pillars and then from inside, you know, the, the A-pillars curved inwards at the bottom. So you had this massive blind spot at the, at the base of the A-pillars on the old one. And that's much reduced now on the, on the new version. Yeah, yeah, I a- I hated being in the last one. Well, A pillars are always an issue for me being short and how far how close I put the seat. That me a- too. Right. That I mean that A <laughs> pillar just becomes bigger and bigger, you know, as you inch towards this towards the steering wheel. And I remember on the launch that I thought the Escape had really really good visibility, and it was nice to drive. I mean, it wasn't the most exciting car, but again, this this segment is really it's kind of for everybody and it's a, it's, it has a wide range of appeal. I do agree, Sam. I think that most, most focus, I'm sorry, escape uh, buyers are probably women because it's a nice size, you know, and it's a nice price point. It's a good sense of feel and it's not very exciting. You know, you're not going to get into a competition with somebody at a traffic light because it's not all souped up. We drove the hybrid as well. And and that was really nice. They did a really, really good job on the hybrid too. It was it was uh not very intrusive. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you know you're driving a hybrid. The regen brakes were really well behaved and and I like this lineup. I think they they have something for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing they've done in you know in the lineup now is you know, if you look at it, you know, you've got the base S model, the S E, and then there's the hybrid, the first hybrid trim level is the S E sport hybrid. So, you know, it's, they've, they've actually made the hybrid a little sportier looking and sportier feeling, you know, you've got black trim and, you know, things like that. And you can also get the hybrid powertrain in the titanium, but, um, you know, that mid-level one, you know, that's kind of the heart of the market and Ford's actually, you know, projecting, you know, pretty significant, excuse me, pretty significant take rate for hybrids, uh, in this new generation. Yeah. Well, and there's no reason in some ways there's no reason not to buy buy it. You know, it starts at twenty eight two, 
for the hybrid. And as you say, it's a sport edition. So it's, you know, it's engaging. It's an engaging drive. And mm-hmm. if you, you know, have the opportunity to get access to an HOV lane, you're certainly going to get better fuel economy. And there's not. Do you get the tax break? Can you still get the tax no. break? No. 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 Not, uh, you will be able to get a tax break with the plug-in when that arrives in the spring. So there's also a plug-in hybrid version coming in the spring. Right. But some municipalities will still let a hybrid into the HOV lane. You know, Not in California. Not in California. That's why I said some. Yeah. You, you know, know what? You just need a printer. Right? You need a printer and you can print out one of those stickers and you can put it on the cut. Yeah. But anyway, okay. before, before do that in goes, California, you're looking at a pretty hefty fine. That's, that's true. <laughs> uh, but no, I think- to the brig. I think the <laughs> escape it's they've they've done it they have a, a nice range for for somebody and I would definitely consider the hybrid. I, I I think it's worth considering. I do still feel like the Rav Four is impressively updated as well, and I think that's I would have to crush up those two like back to back yes, to really for figure sure. out which one I like. Yeah, I I liked the hybrid. I liked the Rav Four hybrid a lot as well, and I thought the interior was a little bit spiffier. Uh, you know, you, you oh really. Uh, for the for the Toyota, I liked the I liked the bright blue pinstriping. I mean, it's just a personal thing, but yeah, I thought it was okay. cool. Um, because that's I actually I really liked the interior here, except for like the door panels and stuff, where you you start to feel like okay, it's a forty thousand dollar vehicle, but you can see some of the areas where they saved money. Yeah, um, especially some of the lower panels. Much. You know, like the sides of the center console. You know, you can definitely see where, you know, I mean, you know how in the, in the past, you know, we've complained about the pricing on the Mazda CX-5. Right. But, you know, you get into a CX-5 and then you get into this and, you know, up, you know, the upper areas of the the interior, you know, they're, they look, you know, pretty comparable in terms of materials and, and finish. But when you move down just a little bit, you know, you get, you know, to the sides of that center console. Now you're talking... You know, hard plastics that really don't look or feel as nice as the materials in the Mazda. You know, the Mazda definitely has a more upscale feel, even though, you know, it's, you know, about roughly the same pricing as, as the Escape. Yeah, that's true. You know, see, this is this is Mazda's problem. We just talked about the RAV4 over and over again. Didn't mention the Mazda once. And- <laughs> I, and it's you know, the I, same I would, class. I would, I would, you know, I would take the Mazda, you know, over the Rav Four any day. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, I, that that is a problem for Mazda to overcome. And while the Escape exists, I don't know that it's going to because the Escape offers that sort of credible counterpoint to the Rav Four and to, to the CRV as well, which is still out there. But uh, the, the Escape just, it, I think. Overall, styling-wise, it's sleeker. It's the newest, of course, but it's it looks sleeker. It looks more premium, just the way it's styled. And again, I had the, the sort of top trim, so that probably plays a role in how I feel about it. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's sucking up some some space in that market where the, the smaller players like Mazda may get get lost. You know, because they're not, they're just not on the tip of everybody's tongue. We we should do something to change that, but it's not our car company. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we're, I think we're, we're Mazda is going to start to feel a, a real challenge as well from, from Ford and, you know, from Toyota and Honda um, is the lack of a hybrid in the CX-5, you know, and, and also, you know, plug-in hybrids, you know, to, um, 
Toyota just recently also announced that uh, I think in LA next week they're going to reveal the uh, the plug-in hybrid version of the Rav4. Um, so you're going to have plug-in hybrids from Ford and Toyota, uh, plus regular hybrids and a hybrid from uh, Honda. You know, and the the CX5 is you know it's got that diesel that is a not especially fuel efficient diesel. And you know, diesel is just the star-crossed thing now. It's just, it takes so long to get here, and by the time it gets here, it's just not, I, I don't know. Well, and I don't, I don't still, think it's going to be a thing. I think it's still a little bit tainted by Volkswagen. I mean, unless it's yeah, a truck. Yeah, and it, and it always will be, I think. I know, unless it's a truck, you know, I think it's really hard to, se- to sell it. Speaking of, I haven't read a lot, but I've, I've, I don't think it's out yet. The Jeep Wrangler diesel, the launch was last week. And so that'll be really interesting to see how that vehicle is received. So far, I think I've seen chatter that it's been, it's people, reviewers like it. It's just expensive. Yes, that was my impression. Wranglers are expensive. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, next year, you know, in 2020, there's also going to be a plug-in hybrid Wrangler. So... You know, that gives, you know, yet another option there. That just seems wrong. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. Okay. I, I think, you know what? Embrace it. <laughs> I It'll know. Be great. You know, I know. Th- think about, it, you know, you're, you're out in the, in the outdoors and the, the wild frontier, you know, what could actually, you know, what could make more sense than, you know, if you've got a, a plug-in hybrid Wrangler with, you know, say 25 miles of, of electric range. Yeah, you, know, you could be driving silently through the through the canyons and over the boulders, you know, just on electric power alone. Well, I think what what would actually make more sense is if you save the electric power and the battery pack so that you can, you know, heat your campfire or something. <laughs> you know, get some electricity out there. That's what I would rather do with that battery Look, in a Wrangler. <laughs> everybody needs to blow dry while they're camping. I no, I, I want like a, a space heater. Oh, a space heater? Yes. That's why you have the fire. <laughs> not not in a tent, you don't. No, well, <laughs> that's why you get one of those army surplus mummy bags. Yeah, my idea of camping oh, is a three-star that. hotel, so no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think that's, that's enough for cars uh, that we've been driving. We should jump into some of the stories we've been looking at. Uh, and because we've had... Our first snow snowfall. Uh, I think now is a really good time to talk about how Ford wants to expand the Mustang brand into a car that you could conceivably drive in all kinds of weather, and get sort of your your Mustang fix that way without crashing it into stuff. Um, you mean they're going to offer it with standard snow tires? No, they're they're going to make basically an electric <laughs> crossover that's Mustang inspired. And we, Sam, you you actually have the most knowledge of all of us mo- most food. of which i can't share yet right um because that's all that's under embargo until sunday um but by the time that this recording gets out and you know just as long as this doesn't get published before 6 a.m on how, thursday how long yeah i was gonna say how long do you want me to sit on it <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> I, I i suspect that you you won't be ready before then so 6 a.m on wow. thursday is is the embargo time. i'm gonna get it done tonight just for that <laughs> out of spite no carry on um <laughs> So yeah, you know, last year, 2018 at the North American International Auto Show during Ford's press conference, they showed this teaser video, uh, you know, showing 
uh, an Explorer and a Mustang driving through Detroit into the, the Corktown factory where uh, T-Medicine, the, the Ford EV team, was based. And, you know, it gets struck by lightning, and then you see this flash come out, and then it, it ends showing the Mach 1 badge on there. And, you know, Mach 1, for, for those who aren't Mustang fans, you know, was <clears throat> was a high-performance Mustang, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, you know, I think usually with a, a big block V8 and, you know, people saw that they said, no, this is wrong. You cannot call this thing the Mach one. And, you know, so Jim Farley and the team quickly backtracked on that. And, um, the, you know, but they, ever since then, they have been referring to this upcoming, their Ford's first dedicated electric vehicle as the Mustang inspired electric SUV, um, and now officially it is no longer just Mustang inspired. It is actually a Mustang. Um, that's, it's going to, they're, they're an EV that's going to be revealed on Sunday is called the, the Mustang Mach E. Um, and, uh, what do you guys think about calling this thing a Mustang? I have thoughts, but I'll let Rebecca go. Oh no, please. No. <laughs> go. I, I think it's going to offend people, but I think it's also fine. Uh, if you're going to move, Mustang is a brand unto itself. And I, I think that expanding it is, is not a bad thing. Um, it, it certainly, you get some of the affinity for Mustang. You've already got a name that's established. People know Ford Mustang. You don't have to, you don't have to sort of climb that hill of the Ford. What, what's that? You know? So I, I think it's, it's not a terrible move. I think they have to be prepared for some blowback. Is nothing sacred anymore? No, it's the car <laughs> nope. business. Nothing is not sacred. Not anymore. Since 2019, the... nothing's sacred anymore. You know what? They could just call it the Mustang and hey, tell all those people. Hey, there's a mid-engine you know Corvette now. Of course <laughs> nothing is sacred. It, they could just call it what they want to call it and tell people, like, we own the name. It's our car company. Pound sand if you don't like it. Well, what's kind of funny is that it's, uh, ironically, it's sort of like the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross. Like, the Mitsubishi right. Eclipse was a little sports car for a long time. Right. And there were enthusiasts and just people who remembered the Eclipse on when that thing launched. We were like, that's not an Eclipse. Yes, exactly. Like, but, no, but there's, a, there's a very important distinction here, though. You know, the, that Eclipse sports coupe no longer exists. Yes. You know, back in 1988, you know, we got word that Ford was going to replace the Mustang with a front-wheel drive coupe based on the Mazda 6. You know, and everybody got all up in arms about that. And, you know, they eventually backtracked on that, and that car became the Probe. But this time, you know, you have the Mach-E, but the classic Mustang, you know, coupes and convertibles, rear-wheel drive, V8-powered, those aren't going anywhere, at least not for the foreseeable future. Those are those are still with us, and they're going to be here. You know, so what's happening is they're expanding the Mustang brand into a family. You know, you've got everything from four cylinder EcoBoost Mustangs to the GT five hundred. So maybe you know, it's more like and, the Ram now, then. I mean, maybe uh, it's more like what Dodge is. You know, what Dodge did with yeah, Ram to make it its it, own it, brand. It, it it kind of is. You know, I mean, it's still a Ford. Um, you know, so you're not completely separating it from the Ford brand, but you know, you're, you're expanding it, you know, in a way, you know, it's, 
I'd almost say it's more like what um, what Toyota tried to do with the Prius, you know, a decade ago when they added the Prius V and the Prius C Prime and expand and, the Prius yeah. brand into a family. Um, this is, you know, a little bit different, you know, um, but, you know, and like I said, I, I can't discuss details yet of the, of the Mach-E, but I think that this will be a much better fit, you know, as a Mustang than, you know, than maybe some of the previous things, you know, compared to, you know, if they had called the probe, if they had gone with their original plan for the probe to be a Mustang, to be a replacement for a Mustang, you know, that would have been, I think, ultimately the death knell for Mustang. Um, but, you know, because you're still retaining, you know, what Mustang is and you're extending it into a new area, um, both with electric and a crossover, um, you know, I think that there's some interesting potential here. You know, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of Mustang traditionalists are, are not going to be happy, but, you know, they're still going to have mustangs to buy you know, you know so it's gonna... I, see, here's the thing i think the guys i say guys but i think the i, I feel like the people who are those mustang traditionalists it's mostly guys I, I yes probably predominantly yes mostly the, guys <laughs> those people who are going to be displeased that the mustang name uh, is being expanded to a model that's not typically a mustang um they're sort of they're the the end of the curve, if you will. Um, those are people who are going to be dropping out of the market sooner than those who. And, and you know, they're let's let's face it, they're getting old. Yeah, right. Um, they're, they're like me. They're getting old. They're old yeah, but, school. Their right. mindset is well, old no, and they're also getting old. They're, they they're old school. They're but, getting old, but they're also like there's a whole bunch of people who remember the probe very fondly would completely accept a front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive electric Mustang. No problem. Uh, and those are people who are in, it, it already in or coming into the peak of their purchasing power. Ford's pretty smart to, to go find them with the product. Uh, and, you know, the Mustang isn't what it started off as anyway, it hasn't been since the last of the SN95 cars in 2004. You know, when that, that was the last Mustang that was based on an, a sort of economy car, uh, you know, high volume car platform with big engines and affordable, much not, it's still affordable, but, you know, much lower price and sort of not as pure a sports car. Since the S197 it, in 2005, it is cons- it, it's on its own platform. It's, there's a lot of parts sharing. I get it to, to keep the cost down, but it has mu- become much more of a legitimate sports car than it ever was before. Uh, and so it's not what it was already. It's just yeah, I, I mean, I understand that. I, I, think, I think it's, first of all, I, I see where it could be smart you you don't have to build a brand, right? Everyone knows. But right. I also I I'm thinking back to a conversation that I had with Jim Farley like a year and a half, almost probably 2 years ago now, right after they made the announcement that they were discontinuing cars as we know them. And the definition, you know, how people perceive cars is is evolving and this is that evolution, right? I mean, people we call everything a car even if it's a 
if it's a truck-based SUV, people will still refer to it as their car. And it's, you know, we we call a, a something like the Ford Escape, somebody's going to call that their car or a car. And so I think that how we think about cars and how the general public thinks about cars is evolving. And I think Ford is just following that evolution with the evolution of the Mustang nameplate. But it's still going to be, the uproar is going to be fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Right. It's it's going to be a very interesting week. Next you week. know, they complained about the four-door charger, like, oh, that's not a charger. And then they bought all of them over and over and over again for the last 15 years or however Of course long. they're going to buy them. Thing. It's, just, it's <laughs> like, I, it's not, it's not going to be a problem. I think Ford probably is going to be able to sell these, I hope. What, what, do we know what it's going to be priced at? Can we talk about it? No. No and no. Okay. No, yeah, but no, no, no and no. We can't talk about it, and, and we don't know anyway, even if if we could talk about it. Okay. They, they haven't said. Okay. But, but you know, keep, keep this in mind, you know, that the, the idea of different form factors for the Mustang is not at all new. You know, I mean, going back to 19, you know, when when I was working, you know, when I was still working in in Ford Communications back in uh, 2013, you know, I worked on the press materials for the the 50th anniversary of Mustang and the uh, the 2015 car. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the archives, digging through the archives and finding you know images of you know some of the design concepts over the years, especially from the early years, and you know, going back to 1963. You know, 62, 63, when they were developing the original Mustang, you know, there were design concepts. There were clay models and, and mock-ups back in 1963 of Mustang station wagons and Mustang sedans, um, you know, based on that, that first-generation design. So, you know, the idea of trying something new with Mustang, you know, goes right back to the very beginning of this, of this thing. Uh, so it's, it's not at all a new, new idea. Well, it actually sounds more like they had planned on having multiple body styles for the Mustang. They did, yeah. They, they, they or they certainly, they certainly gave it serious consideration. You know, they never, they never got around to producing it. But even you know, over the years, you know, we went through. You had the notchback coupes, you had the fastbacks, you had the uh, convertibles. You know, there were the hatchbacks through the you know Mustang two and and uh, you know the Fox body era. So, you know, we went through a lot of different iterations of Mustang over the years. Yeah, I think... And, the, and look, let's, let's look, look at it this way. At least it's not a Pinto. Right. I'm, <laughs> That's a pretty low bar. Well, I just, I just, and I just love the whole, I, I like... Think, you know, I think, I think people are actually going to be really pleasantly surprised with this thing when they see the details on it. Yeah, I really, I want to check it out. I think it's, it's going to be great. And it's going to be different, and that's okay. Get, get over, get over your clinging to the past. Come on, move on. And you know, if you want Ford to keep building, you know, traditional Mustangs, go out and buy them. Yeah, buy more of them. If you buy them, they will build them. Yeah. You know, Ford. You know, company automakers stop building stuff when people stop buying them. If as long as people want to pay the money, they'll build it. Which is, you know, what astounds me is that we can vocally con them into bringing stuff here by saying we'll buy it like the Chevrolet SS for example and then we just don't buy it 
or the Cadillac CTSV sport sport wagon. Yeah, exactly. It's like we we were vocal enough to make it seem like there was a sales case, and then no. Let's move on. Um, Sam, we you put in here uh, de-icing of a Raptor because we saw it uh, very briefly. There was an auto blog post and uh, the Berlin police don't mess around uh, if you park no. your Raptor in the wrong place. Yeah, well, you know, we we've seen various um, you know reports over the particularly over the last year or so of of uh, people with you know big pickup trucks, especially big diesel pickup trucks you know, parking them in front of EV charging stations, you know, just to be, just to be assholes. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the latest iteration of this was somebody in Germany with a, of an F-150 Raptor. And, you know, um, I can only imagine that um, this, you know, usually when you see vehicles like this in Germany, um, they typically are being driven by members of the U.S. Armed Forces uh, that are stationed in Germany because they don't, generally don't sell very many of these to German natives. But, um, you know, in this particular case, you know, somebody parked a Raptor in front of an EV charging station. So uh, a tow truck was called, and uh, this tow truck uh, happened to have a crane on it. And they literally lifted up the, the Raptor and put it on a flatbed and took it away. I think that's excellent. And the aerial uh, shots are pretty cool of it on Twitter. Yeah. Did, <laughs> yeah. So do you guys understand like why why people feel the need to park their pickups in front of EV charging stations? Like, don't, don't you have better things to do with your time? Apparently not. Is We're the, really going to get into the motivations of what people do here. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, and I I can't say here in like super liberal New England, I've seen it. I don't know if this is something that like I should keep an eye out for, or maybe only no, when traveling. No, but it definitely happens. I mean, I think it happens a lot more, and this may be stereotypical, but in the South, I think it definitely happens a lot more. Pro- uh, probably, but you know, then again, and you know, I've talked about this before. You know, in California, you know, I've I've experienced EV drivers that just want to take advantage of you know parking spots that are close to the store you know, parking their EVs at, you know, at charging stations that are right next to a store and not plugging them in, you know, come on. If you're, if you're driving an EV, you know that people need to charge, you know, if you're not going to use the charger, don't park at the charger, park somewhere else and walk a hundred feet to get to the store. I know, but this is where we need to have those little robot chargers that like come to your car and that will solve this problem. Uh, I don't know about that. I think we it need will. to just hit those kind of inconsiderate owners with tasers. No, yeah. but if we, but <laughs> like if I get some have, electricity for you uh, right I, here. I think you know. I think if we do this, <laughs> I think if we pick them up unit. and put them on a flatbed, you know, it'll it'll solve the problem. If you start doing some of this here, you know, it'll that problem will will kind of go away. Yes, it will. But so will the mobile charging units. So they come out, yeah. they charge the car for you, and then they go back to their little spot. So the charging units are in this spot. You don't have to be in a specific spot. I feel spot. like there's a business for, for somebody who um, you just put like a, you know, a GMC 471 on your flatbed and you just drive around to, to get, and, you, and then you, you get a bunch of your buddies to block the chargers with their trucks. And you get that, your 471 and your gen set there. And so you're like, oh, you're kind of stuck, huh? 
I got a generator here. I'll charge you 25 bucks an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, Tata, which owns Jaguar Land Rover, is looking for a partner because they need more partnerships. Uh, specifically, they're talking to Gili and BMW. Gili, uh, which owns Volvo, as we mentioned earlier, but they also, they're based in China. And JLR is really losing their shirt in China, and so they need to figure out uh, how do they manage demand there? How do they how do they get product there? And this is a potential way to do that. And then on the BMW side, Sam, I think you mentioned that they already have a tie-in for electrification. Yeah, they, they made an announcement back in May uh of or let's see uh yeah it was yeah, uh, no May. sorry it's june. Oh, june it was in june of um bmw uh and jaguar land rover announcing a collaboration for the next generation electrification strategy uh so you know jlr was gonna was gonna be using uh bmw's fifth generation uh electric drive technology and right now you know jlr only has you know they've got a couple of plug-in hybrid um Range Rover models, but um, on the, the they only have one battery electric vehicle, and that's the iPace. And you know that one, uh, they they actually are not using. Um, uh, they didn't develop. They didn't develop their own electric powertrain for that. They went to uh, AAM, a company formerly known as American Axle Manufacturing, um, and AAM provides the the motors and, and gearboxes for the iPace. Uh, and th- those those came out of a f- joint venture that AAM used to have with Saab, and after Saab went belly up, uh, AAM bought the those oh, assets, and, and so American Axle was GM too, right? Like it, it, came, it was, yeah, it was spun out from GM back in the late nineties. Ah, so that's so it's American Axle was GM, Saab was GM, so that's where the tie. Okay. Uh, well, or I mean, the, the tie, the tie up with Saab came long after American Axle was an independent company, but it doesn't fit my conspiracy theory as well. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, ja- Jaguar, you know, has, has been Jaguar Land Rover has been looking for something, you know, uh, for more advanced technology, uh, for their motors, uh, you know, for their electric, their electrification products. And, you know, uh, tie-ups, potential tie-ups with BMW and, you know, perhaps in China with Geely, you know, would probably make a lot of sense for them. I think it would. And also, you know, I think one of the things that struck me about interesting with this is that just how we're seeing all of these potential tie-ups come to fruition in terms of, you know, really kind of being brand agnostic in some ways. It's like, you know, you have technology that we need. Maybe you can help us here. And there's there's no strange bedfellows anymore. You know, everyone needs to kind of tie in with, uh, you know, with somebody else and whether they compete directly or not. It's just something, it's just the reality of today. Yeah, well, you know, we talked about this a little bit uh, earlier this summer when uh, Volkswagen and uh, Ford announced their tie-up. You know, but when you're when you're doing electric vehicles, you know, in in the past, you know, when every when everybody had internal combustion engines, you know, their engines, you know, tended to have a little more distinct character, um, you know, from different manufacturers. You know, uh, a a Jaguar inline six or V twelve was a very different engine from 
you know, say a Mercedes V8 uh, or, you know, an Audi five-cylinder. You know, they had very different sounds, very different characteristics. But as you move into electrification, those a lot of those characteristics fall by the wayside. And, you know, when you drive one EV, you know, it really doesn't feel all that different from another EV. You know, they all basically feel about the same. You know, they don't make much sound. You know, and to the degree that they make sound at all, it's usually something synthetic. Right. Which, you know, so there's there's less and less incentive for everybody to develop their own electric motors. You know, and, and, also, and the same thing goes for batteries. And, you know, especially when EVs are still comparatively hard to sell, you know, there's, there's still a tiny segment of the market, um, you know, getting getting to economies of scale is really hard. And so, you know, for manufacturers to tie up and share uh, components, you know, and share the, the development costs, you know, for parts that don't make their vehicles, you know, distinctly different from each other makes a lot of sense. No, it does. I mean, the way that you're going to differentiate yourself isn't necessarily with your exhaust note anymore, isn't with your powertrain technology. It's it's a different propulsion system and, and it's a different emotional experience as well. So it does. I mean, you if you can have the ability to 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 spend the money and the and the time and and budget on the interior, on the exterior, on the visual parts, because that's at the end is what's going to count in you know ten or fifteen years when people aren't really driving as much anymore. There's a totally missed opportunity too, where you can pipe those engine sounds in. You can buy them like ringtones. Come on, you could sell yeah. it. Hey, um, actually, that is not at all a missed opportunity. That is that is starting to happen. Porsche, for example, is offering uh, some optional different uh, sounds for the Taycan. Oh, that's so Porsche. We took it away, but we'll charge you and, extra and, to put it back. And, oh, and boy, <laughs> are they charging you extra. I think it's like 500 bucks. Oh, man. That's, yeah. But that, I, and so there's that, that. That's part of how you make it distinctive. But I think what we're seeing, too, is that we're, we're at an early stage of this uh, new motor, this new propulsion technology sort of trying to go mainstream. And uh, just like we, we had back in, say, the, the teens, 20s, and 30s with internal combustion engines, you, there were a lot of manufacturers that didn't build their own engines or transmissions. You know, they bought engines from Continental. Uh, or you know, Lycoming, or you know, some other manufacturer, and they they bought other components and they assembled them. You know, there were a lot of assembled marks that didn't didn't make it uh, past the 30s with the economic downturn. Um, <laughs> so we're going to see a, a bunch of startups and a bunch of consolidation, and the the, the motors and you know, propulsion technology may get shared. There may be uh, sort of independent motor companies but then the, you'll see that consolidation start to happen uh the, the companies that are going to stick around are going to stick and they they may well turn back to making everything in-house like gm does with its own engines and and uh ford does with its own right like and their technology is going to have its own sort of secret sauce like certainly tesla makes its own motors and they do things differently than other motor manufacturers and they get more efficiency out of out of the way they do it um, versus the way somebody else does it. So I, th I think it'll shake out eventually. We'll see. 
In time. Time will tell. It'll just be very yeah. tumultuous in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we finish up with a couple of uh, listener uh, questions? All right. That sounds good to me. Um, All right. We had, we had, what did we have? We had one via email and one via uh, Twitter. So. Yeah. So uh, in email the other day, we got one from uh, Peter Fagel uh, in Germany who asked, uh, since we live in the times with the most expensive four bangers, including hybrids ever, I have two questions. First, am I right that the most expensive four banger, base price at least, is the Alfa Romeo 4C at 67,150 US dollars? And two, why is only a four cylinder called a banger? Uh, kind regards, Peter from Bavaria in Germany. Okay. All right. So I'll I'll take the first part of that as far as the the pricing goes. Um, it's uh, it's actually uh, not the uh, the Alpha Four C. Um, it's believe it or not, uh, it's a Porsche. Uh, the seventeen uh, seven Boxster is currently the most expensive. Um, it wasn't always, in fact, you know, fairly recently. Uh, it was not even, uh, it wasn't the most expensive. It was the, um, um, the, uh, the BMW 740e plug-in hybrid, uh, that up until 2019 had a two liter four cylinder in there and was uh, base price was close to a hundred thousand dollars for that one. Um, the, uh, the, the Boxster, uh, let's see the, the Boxster GTS, I think is the is the most expensive um four cylinder boxster um and it starts at eighty three thousand dollars for the boxster gts and you can run it up well over a hundred grand for that one so wow i I think if you were to adjust you know inflation adjusted dollars too i don't think this is the time of the most expensive four cylinder engines I think that time was well back earlier in the early part of the 20th century with some very expensive luxury brands. Oh yeah, and and some very large displacement four-cylinder engines. Yes. Um so like let's just keep that in perspective like yes, due to inflation and v- various other factors, the actual dollar amount right now is probably higher than ever before, but in terms of percentage of income and stuff is probably not the most expensive. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's true. Um, yeah. And yeah, the, and some of, you know, some of these models have actually moved away from four cylinders, like the, the BMW five and seven series plug-in hybrids for 2020, uh, have been updated with a six cylinder engine. So they're, they're, they're no longer even available in that form, but, um, yeah, it's, yeah, you're you're right. Um, you know, in in real dollar terms, over time, um, you know, they they probably were more expensive in the past. So you wanna you wanna handle the four banger question? Uh, sure. I will also point out that while four bangers seem like you know the only engine that we say banger, um, people commonly call one cylinder motorcycles thumpers. So I think I think it's just there's a it's a, just a colloquial sort of understanding, but I think. Um, four cylinders have that banger attached to it because they're not the most inherently smooth engine, especially an inline four, because you've got, you know, two sets of pistons. So at any point while it's running, uh, two of them are going to be up, two of them are going to be down. That's a lot of mass and it just, it makes them bounce vertically. Uh, whereas a six cylinder is very nicely balanced 
there's 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 more mass obviously but the the mass is is better spread out so it's just inherently balanced so it, it, they don't they don't shake like that or a four cylinder always has a little bit of a shake in it um and and so i think that that roughness is how they got that reputation and now we're in this age of very smooth four cylinders which we didn't have back in the day when you know sixes and eights were a lot more common the four cylinder felt a lot more agricultural because uh it was, you know that's a tractor engine <laughs> my you know my farmall cub has a nice four cylinder not not my you know my tempest or whatever um so yeah there's a the at least in an inline and in a flat four because the mass is arranged differently um what is that a second order uh, yeah, it's the second order imbalance. That that's it's not there. Um, but for whatever reason, I never feel like a uh, a flat four is really any kind of more luxuriously smooth. It it has a different engine note to me, and that's about all. <laughs> I don't know. They don't feel any smoother. All right. The uh, did did you have any comments on that, Rebecca? I'm good. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll I'll let you uh, field this next one from uh, from Twitter from uh, William Maley. Was there ever a news story or rumor that you first thought was a good idea, but then going the opposite direction the more you thought about it? And he he offered the example of Skoda coming to the U.S. Yeah, yeah. I uh, you know I had I I saw this earlier and I was trying to think of them and one of the things I thought of was you know maybe naming a car after a founder's son, but. That seemed like a bad idea. <laughs> Wait, that happened. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, oh, that didn't go so well, you know, that one time at Seoul. Um, you know, I was trying to think of them. I mean, first of all, I, I, you know, try and put out of my mind when I've been wrong. So that's one thing. <laughs> um, but I, nothing jumped out at me right away. Uh, do you guys have some? I unfortunately can't think of anything because most of the bad ideas usually immediately struck me as bad ideas. So uh, I'm having a hard time coming <laughs> well, so, up with I mean, one like, that sounded they... like, that seemed like a good idea at the time. And then well, there's, so there's, there's some current ideas that tend to focus on other market products, right? Like how much have you seen people say that they really wish that Suzuki would sell the Jimny here in the U S and that's, <laughs> It sounds like a great idea as an enthusiast. It's a terrible idea because it's small. It doesn't have the right power for this market. It's it's not going to feel refined enough. Um, they wouldn't clear enough sales to make it profitable. Now, they would sell some for sure, especially the first year. But they wouldn't sell enough in those ensuing years, and they probably wouldn't sell enough that first year to even sort of, you know, make any return on the investment. So that's a that's a good idea. That's actually a terrible idea. That's that's what I come up with. Yeah, I, like um, I, I guess you know maybe maybe one idea that um, you know has kind of soured for me over the years, you know, is um, you know, some of the stuff, you know, around, uh, partially automated vehicles, you know, Oh uh, yeah, that's you know, yes. <laughs> you know, when, when, when we, you know, when we've had, when we first got, you know, some of these, you know, things like autopilot and, you know, pilot assist and these various, uh, partially automated systems, 
you know, they seemed like a good idea at the time, but the more I've thought about it, the more I've used these systems, the more I realize that, yeah, no, they're not a good idea. Not at all. I got one. I got one. Okay. Touch screens. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was, was going to They're ask, a terrible idea. I was going to ask Sam how you felt see, about see, them at first. <laughs> It, 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 it seemed like, yeah, let's let's stick our tablets and our phones right on the dashboard. And then, you know, when you actually use them while you're trying to drive, you realize what a horrible idea yeah. that was. I just want that and, thing right over there. You hit a bump and you hit the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, some would or, say. Or, or a trackpad on the center console. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> some would actually say also things, you know, like heads up display, which some people have a really hard time getting used to. And now that you can turn them off, you know, which is be- hugely beneficial, I think, to some people who are just not comfortable with it, or they find it very distracting. I, I yeah, I, I suppose that people might find it distracting. God, I love a heads up display. I love the heads up display. I, I, I love, I love HUDs too. You know, Once they, you get used they, to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the main, the main issue I've had with many of them over the years is, you know, just the way they've been executed um, with, you know, often being fading away if you wear polarized sunglasses. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. That's not, true. Not, yes. not actually being able to see them. And polarized yeah, sunglasses sure. are the sunglasses you should use because they're the best. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So, um, all right. Yeah, there's plenty of bad ideas. Those are just a few. So I, I think <laughs> um, this should be something that uh, now we've answered, and now it's your turn, uh, listeners, to chime in with your own. We'll see what you've got. All right. Yes. Sounds like sounds like that could be very interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, so this is a podcast, uh, Wheelbearings Podcast 130. We've made it to, uh, to 130 episodes. Uh, you know where to find us online, and uh, we'll catch everybody next week. All right. See ya. Thanks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. <laughs>